Hello, this is Andy, and you're listening to Federal Andy. Episode 122, The Week That Was, ending March 11th, 2023. This episode is being recorded on Sunday, March 12th, 2023. And the big news the last couple of days has been the failure of a large bank. As a matter of fact, it is the second largest bank failure ever, and it is the largest U.S. banking failure since the 2008 Great Recession, which was caused by a financial crisis in the banking industry. The bank is Silicon Valley Bank, known locally as SVB. And this past Wednesday, when the bank opened, it was basically considered a pretty well-capitalized institution, and it wanted to raise some funds. That action is what led to the crisis. The downward spiral began late in the day on Wednesday when SVB surprised some of the investors with news that it wanted to raise $2.25 billion to shore up its balance sheet. And they got nervous. The venture capitalists particularly got very nervous about that. And because of the actions that these venture capitalists took, (laughs) they caused the uh, collapse of a bank that was once highly respected and had for years been a good friend to its technology clients. So the bank was about 40 years old, and the venture capitalists that caused it to fail, basically, I guess I shouldn't say they caused it to fail, they were responsible for creating the furor over the bank having problems, which actually created a worse problem than the bank had. (laughs) So... Anyway, the the bottom line is that uh, the uh, VC venture capitalists are definitely definitely have a role in the uh, collapse of the bank, and some experts are saying that the hysteria was uh, caused by the VCs and the. Federal Reserve has stepped in. 
they closed the bank, I believe it was on Friday. Normally, when the Federal Reserve comes in because a bank is in trouble, they will wait for the bank to close business that day. And then the next morning or the next banking day, the bank opens and it's like, poof, all of a sudden it's been taken over by the FDIC. Very often they've already named another bank that's going to, I guess, buy up the assets or be responsible for it. But at this point, <laughs> the uh, FDIC, the Federal Reserve couldn't even even wait for the bank to close. They, and it had like another five hours left in the banking day. Couldn't even do it. They closed it down right in the middle of the day. And a lot of the companies, mostly technology companies, had a large part or most of their money in SVB. And they're now concerned that they may not even be able to pay their employees in the coming days because the bank where their money's located is no longer in business. So pretty, uh, pretty amazing. The um, customers at SVB withdrew an unbelievable $42 billion in deposits by the end of the banking day on Thursday. This is according to a California regulatory filing. And so those who stayed with SVB after Thursday are not certain when they're going to get their money back or if they're going to get their money back. And it kind of seems like maybe they're going to lose some money. The deposits are insured by the FDIC, apparently up to $250,000. But some of these companies had well, well, well over $250,000 in the bank. And it kind of seems like uh, maybe uh, that's not going to be covered. Now, how did this happen exactly? Well, let's take a look at the last time this happened, back in 2008. That was known as the Great Recession. And as a result of that, Congress passed what is known as the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act, which is usually referred to just as Dodd-Frank. And that was a federal law that was enacted on July 21st, 2010. And the law overhauled financial regulation because of what happened in the Great Recession. Of course, when you have a big collapse like that, all of the loopholes that have allowed these problems to happen are exposed. Some of them <laughs> were obvious beforehand, but because the powers that be were making so much money because of those loopholes, well... We don't really want to bother with those, do we? And of course, the powers that be donate to politicians. So got to keep them happy. Don't want to do anything that's going to make our donors unhappy, right? So the uh, changes that Dodd-Frank uh, made pretty much affected all federal financial regulatory agencies in almost every single part of the nation's financial services industry. And it definitely, definitely needed to be overhauled. So in uh, 
June of 2009, then-President Barack Obama was getting a lot of demands from lots of people regarding changes to the financial regulatory system. And he, President Obama, introduced a proposal for what he referred to as, quote, sweeping overhaul of the United States financial regulatory system, a transformation on a scale not seen since the reforms that followed the Great Depression. And that was a quote. And Barney Frank, the Frank part of Dodd-Frank, and Chris Dodd, the Dodd part of Dodd-Frank, were the ones who introduced um, the legislation. And there were a few members on the Republican Republican Party in the House that uh, voted for the bill. There were, I believe, three. Um, and the Democrats pretty much voted for it. And those three Senate Republican votes overcame the Senate filibuster. So back then, we actually had a handful of Republicans in the Senate that actually cared about their country and were patriotic, and they put their country and the Constitution before their party, which is something that is almost completely absent in both houses of Congress on the Republican side these days. But uh, ultimately, Dodd-Frank did pass, and it reorganized the financial regulatory system. The Office of Thrift Supervision was disbanded, and the responsibilities that that office once held were assigned to the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, that's the FDIC. It also created new agencies like the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and that particular agency was charged with protecting consumers against abuses relating to their mortgages, credit cards, loans. You know, when you go out and you see these um, loan companies that are set up in little strip shopping centers, that kind of a financial product. The uh, Dodd-Frank also created the Financial Stability Oversight Council, and it created the Office of Financial Research, which was charged with identifying threats to the financial stability of the United States. And it did give the financial of the Federal Reserve additional powers that would allow it to regulate systematically important institutions. And the procedures for handling liquidation of big companies, um, the act uh, created what was known as the Orderly Liquidation Authority. And uh, one of the provisions, the Volcker Rule, restricts banks from making certain kinds of speculative investments. And it also repealed the exemption from regulation for security-based swaps requiring credit default swaps and other transactions to be cleared through either exchanges or clearinghouses. And so there were a lot of things that uh, had to be done because of this. And over the years since Dodd-Frank became law, um, 
<laughs> the Republicans, in response to their wealthy donors, have made attempts to hack away at Dodd-Frank to loosen restrictions and give banks more freedom. Now, I should point out that most of the people involved with the big banks on Wall Street that contributed to the Great Recession didn't really get punished. Uh, certainly no CEOs went to prison over what happened. The banks were fined. They paid their fines and have done incredibly well since then, making more money than ever before, if I recall correctly. Um, but, you know, the Republicans are big on rolling back things that control businesses. And at the same time, because of those controls, they protect consumers. They protect the American people. Things like rolling back safety regulations for railroads. Huh. Seems to me we've had something in the news recently about uh, multiple derailings of trains. And... Uh, they're certain the Republicans are certainly happy about rolling all of these regulations back when it happens. But then when there's an accident that kills people or causes a mass amount of pollution that has to be cleaned up, well, all of a sudden they get really quiet, don't they? So, um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, the, uh, Silicon Valley Bank failure um, is pretty much revealed by a New York Times article that identified who's responsible for this disaster. And you can guess that it's somebody on the right side of the aisle. Right? So... Let's take a look at uh, exactly what has happened to Dodd-Frank since it was passed that has allowed banks to make more profit with less oversight, less regulation, less checks and balances, and could have very well and probably very likely did contribute to the failure of SVB. One of the key elements of Dodd-Frank is what is known as a bank stress test. This test is required of banks that have $50 billion or more in assets, and they are required to undergo internal stress tests conducted by their own risk management teams and the Federal Reserve. And the reason for these stress tests is the they want to make sure that these banks are going to be able to survive in case of there's some sort of an economic or financial crisis. And it just analyzes whether or not the bank has the ability to make it through these, uh, you know, hypothetical instance, instances or events. So, what a stress test does is it looks at a few key areas that are essential to a healthy bank's operation, such as credit risks, market risks, and li liquidity risks to measure 
the financial status of a bank under a crisis situation. And they basically use computer simulations and hypothetical scenarios that create the different situations. And then the Federal Reserve and the International Monetary Fund um, will have some input in that as well. And the stress tests are run by the company themselves and are supposed to be conducted on a semi-annual basis. And there are uh, pretty tight reporting deadlines. They have to report the results of the stress test. (coughs) Pardon me. So there are a standard set of scenarios that banks might experience, and they have to do these stress tests on some of these predetermined um, situations. So it could involve something like a natural disaster in a particular part of the world uh, to see how the bank would respond to that, Um, uh, a sudden increase in unemployment, something like a pandemic, perhaps, where all of a sudden you find hundreds of thousands of people or millions of people losing their jobs in a relatively short period of time, or an economic uh, recession where homeowners suddenly are not only losing their jobs, but they lose a large percentage in the value of their home, kind of leaving them upside down where they actually owe more money on their home than the, than the house is actually worth. And so at that point, banks have to kind of project ahead uh, several quarters or multiple quarters, um, business quarters to determine if they have enough capital to make it through the crisis. And I think that, I think it's actually, um, I think they have to do it like two years out or something like that, a little over two years. And so that's just one of the main things. And the, the, the stress test, of course, uh, lets a bank and lets federal regulators know if the bank is in good enough shape to handle these situations and if there's a cushion, if the bank is barely able to make pass the stress test, but there's not much of a cushion there, it gives the bank time to make changes to provide the cushion that they need so that they are more likely to survive that type of a uh, crisis. Now, of course, there's a lot of critics. And most of these critics uh, will tell you that um, the stress tests lack sufficient transparency. Uh, Some banks will have more capital than is necessary just in case requirements are going to change in the future. And sometimes the timing of, of stress testing can be a bit of a surprise. It's not always predictable. So that can make banks reluctant to extend credit if there's some fluctuations in the market where it might be kind of tight for a brief period of time, but it would loosen up soon after that. So they feel that by having to disclose too much information, that would let banks artificially boost reserves in time for Test. So they want the tests to be somewhat of a surprise so that they can see 
how the bank is under normal business conditions, because obviously if you know that you're going to have a stress test coming up, then you can make business decisions to make sure that there's going to be enough money and assets available to get through it. And so it's kind of a double-edged sword. It prevents banks sometimes from loaning money when it could, but it might not want to just because it is a little concerned. Perhaps there might be a stress test coming up. So anyway, um, but it has revealed that some of the big banks even sometimes um, cut it a little bit uh, um, close. For instance, uh, Deutsche Bank, which is a bank that has done a lot of business with former President Donald Trump, it's actually failed stress tests um, a few times since this came into effect. But uh, bottom line is, back in 2018, former President Donald Trump signed a bill that was put through Congress, mostly by Republicans, that lessened the regulatory scrutiny for a lot of regional banks. And it just so happens that Silicon Valley Bank's um, chief executive was a guy by the name of Greg Becker, and he was a very strong supporter of this change, of course. And this change reduced how frequently banks with um, assets of $100 billion to $250 billion had to submit distress tests by the Fed. And bottom line is um, Silicon, Valley, Silicon Valley Bank's asset size was about $45 billion at the end of 2016. And by the end of 2020, it had jumped to over $115 billion. And, you know, I'm just going to take this opportunity to say that if Americans would actually take the time and turn off the news and just do their own research on the economy historically. They would find that it is a fact, indeed, that the economy generally performs better when there's a Democrat in the White House. And that's just. That's just a fact. Every Republican president, I think, since Ronald Reagan, has brought us a recession. Seems to me there may be one in there that might be, uh, there might be an exception, but I can't really think of who it would be off the top of my head. But yeah, um, the economy does do better when Democrats are in charge. Truly, it does. So, at any rate, the um, um, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen this morning pretty much said that there's not going to be a federal bailout for Silicon Valley Bank. And Yellen said uh, to CBS News on Sunday morning, quote, let me be clear that during the financial crisis, there were investors and owners of systemic large banks that were bailed out and were certainly not looking. And the reforms that have been put in place means that we're not going to do that again, end quote. So 
you kind of have to question the companies that had more than $250,000 in their accounts. I realized that some of these companies had billions or millions of dollars in their accounts, um, but they need to understand that the FDIC doesn't protect investments, I don't think, over $250,000. So a lot of people are now concerned about... Uh, are we going to have another bunch of banks collapse like we did back in 2008? And uh, a lot of the analysts who have looked at it said that they don't think that this particular collapse is going to set off um, the domino effect like we had back in 2008. Um, but of course, now there's talks about a bailout in Washington because, well, the Republicans don't want their rich banker donors um, to be unhappy with them. So anyway, SVB was a bank that specialized in high-tech uh, companies and startups, mostly in Silicon Valley. And it was uh, one of the top 20 in uh, the American commercial banking system, and it had $209 billion in total assets at the end of last year. And uh, it is the largest lender to fail since Washington Mutual collapsed in 2008. So we'll have to see what happens. Most of the analysts are blaming the failure on, uh, well, number one, they're saying the higher interest rates have made it more difficult for the bank. And of course, the venture capitalist, which some people call vulture capitalists because they're responsible for a lot of bad things that have happened in the country <laughs> over the years. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of the VC, the VC folks have uh, done a lot of damage to jobs in America, where they buy up companies and they strip assets from the companies to make an immediate return on their investment even if it means uh, lots of people lose their jobs. They don't seem to really care about that. All they're interested in is making money, and they don't care who it hurts in the long run. Isn't capitalism great? After the midterm elections last November, the Republican Party now has a supermajority in the state of Florida, and they also have a governor who was reelected to a second term who is, well, not the least bit reluctant to take away rights from people. He's not the least bit reluctant to expose his racism, basically, his hatred towards gay people, trans people. Basically, if you're not white and if you're not Christian, he doesn't want to have anything to do with you, pretty much. And he's acting like he's a dictator instead of a governor. And the Republicans in the legislature, it would appear, are bending over backwards to help the fascist. One of the more, um, shall we just say, egregious bills that has been introduced 
is uh, SB 1220 uh, HR 991. And what those, what those will do is it removes the laws that protect journalism. It will make it easier for people who have been mentioned in the press to sue the press for mentioning them. And it allows a presumption that statements from people who are anonymous, for instance, if a journalist gets information from someone and they have to uh, swear to protect their identity if they use the information that they provided. It uh, makes the presumption that uh, statements of that kind are um, false. It lowers the standard used to prove actual malice, and it changes the de definition of a public figure. So under Florida law, if you are a public official, uh, you should be exempt from definite defamation suits. So what this law is going to do is it's going to maintain uh, everything that helps public officials, protects public officials, and it is going to um, make it diff more difficult for journalists to expose them. So they basically are going to have immunity for whatever they want to do. So if you're, if you're a public official in the state of Florida working for the state of Florida, um, you can pretty much say whatever you want, defame whoever you want, and no problem. And uh, there's another bill that's kind of accompanies that, but it's a separate bill. It's SB 1316. This one is going to require bloggers who may mention the governor, which of course right now is Ron DeSantis or Ron DeFascist, if you want to describe what he is. Um, any state official or the governor, uh, if you want to write, if you're a blogger and you want to write about them, you have to register with the state and report that you're going to write about the governor or a state official to the state. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, oh, yes, I know that there's a First Amendment that says freedom of the press, and I would say that bloggers and uh, podcasters, people like that, YouTubers, are, <laughs> I think, would properly be described as press, although I certainly don't consider myself really to be press. Um, anyway, the bill says, quote, if a blogger posts to a blog about an elected state officer and receives or will receive compensation for that post, the blogger must register with the state within five days of the post and file monthly reports as to who compensated the blogger and the amount of compensation. And I believe that there's penalties, and, and that's an end quote, and, and I believe there are penalties uh, and fines if you don't do it. So think about that a little bit. 
Does that not sound a little bit Gestapo-ish to you? Because it certainly does to me. <laughs> um, other bills uh, that are going through, there's a SB 300 that will ban abortion in the state of Florida at six weeks. And uh, there's another one, um, HB 437, which will allow homeowners associations to ban pride flags and any non-USA, non-military flags. And that would include flags of other nations like Ukraine. Or I would assume, um, I don't know, what about the flag for the state of Florida? I guess that would be considered a USA um, flag. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, there's gay people living in the United States that are citizens. Would that would a would the pride flag not be a USA flag? Kind of seems like it should, because you know you can't just pick a group of people and say you don't have the same rights as everybody else because you're gay or whatever. Because there is something in the Constitution known as equal protection under the law. And equal protection means everybody has the same rights. You can't give rights to certain groups of people and withhold them from others. So I imagine a lot of this stuff is going to wind up in court. Um, SB 668 bans pride flags from all government, educational, and public places. Um, it's just the, the the stuff that they've got is is just it's incredible and there's just a huge long list of stuff on here that is unreal um they you know governor de fascist has gone in to the um public education system uh, like uh, i mentioned in a previous episode that new college he's gone in and he's removed the entire board and put cronies of his um, many of whom it just so happens donated to his campaign hmm but i'm sure that has nothing to do with it i'm sure he's not rewarding them thanking them for their money by putting him in these positions because well that would be corrupt wouldn't it wouldn't that be um, tit for tat or <laughs> something like that? It's unreal. Um, so um, it's just it's it's incredible to think that any of this stuff could actually. Um, become law in Florida. Uh, HB3, this is one of the very first ones, allows the state to investigate uh, and they can fine and sue companies that makes decisions that have social or political or ideological interests in mind. So do you think that would have something to do with the don't say gay bill and the fact that uh, Disney came out and 
about it because it had so many employees complain. Disney's one of the biggest employers in the state of Florida. You would not think that it would be smart for the governor of a state to attack one of the biggest employers in the state, but that's definitely what he's done. And taking away the um, tax uh, setup that they had in place since Disney World was envisioned is, I think that's a really poor thing to do. I think that's a, that's a really evil thing to do because, you know, Disney paid to build and develop and maintain all of that infrastructure. And now Florida is just basically taking it away from them. I would be really surprised if that doesn't wind up in court down the road, as well as a lot of these other things, um, uh, I think should wind up in, in court as well. But they're having a whole lot of stuff about uh, if it's gender, sex, uh, stuff like that. It's like they are really, really interested in that down in Florida. Um HB 1069 is a, a bill that will define sex as binary. There will be a requirement that sex is determined by biology and reproductive function at birth, and that is something that you have to teach if you're going to teach in Florida schools. You have to, uh, if, you're a, if you're a school, you have to get state approval for any materials that you might want to use uh, regarding sexually transmitted diseases, sex education. Uh, there's a large group of books, instructional materials, anything uh, that the state determines might be appropriate for the grade level and age group for which the material is used. So you have to get approval from everything. You want to talk about Big Brother is watching. It's um, um yeah. Um and uh, by the way, this uh HB 1069 has a little uh um line in it, a statement that says, quote, teach abstinence from sexual activity outside of marriage as the expected standard end quote. So again, they are going against what has been proven. If you teach kids in school about sexually transmitted diseases and sex and the repercussions of having sex, and if you provide them with information about how you go about preventing pregnancy and the transmission of sexually transmitted diseases, guess what? Pregnancies and sexually transmitted diseases drop. But we know when the only thing that you teach is abstinence, pregnancies like teenage pregnancies and sexually transmitted diseases increase. So, yeah, let's do something that's been proven to fail. Unreal. Um, SB 252 bans vaccine requirements. Yeah, that's wonderful. 
wonderful. You know, it's going to get to the point where no one is going to want to live in the state of Florida. Truly. Uh, people are having a very difficult time in Florida buying homeowners insurance right now. Premiums are through the roof. People are reporting homeowner insurance premiums jumping from $1,500 to $4,500 or $5,000 in one year, just in a year, even though they may not have had any claims. Um, the water, the public water system, the tests are uh, almost universally bad. Uh, Florida has horrible, horrible water. Uh, they're having more and more problems with red ties where red tides where you have lots of dead fish and you've got this uh, um, gross junk in the water along the coasts. Hurricanes are getting more deadly and stronger. Sinkholes, alligators. I, I, it's every week now, it seems like I'm reading about somebody that's been attacked by an alligator and it's probably because their natural habitat is being intruded on by people. They don't have any place where they can go and be away from people now. So you see them on golf courses and, you know, little old lady walking a dog around the pond in the park in the middle of her neighborhood. And there's a big old alligator that comes out of the pond and it goes after the dog. But the dog gets away and it grabs the woman and it yanks her into the lake. Yeah, isn't that great for kids? Florida wants to do all of this stuff to protect kids. You want to talk about a nightmare? Can you imagine a little kid being in the park, watching an alligator come out of the lake and dragging a woman in and killing her? Uh, I would think that would be a pretty horrific thing for a kid to see. Uh, but they're not really too concerned about that. They're more concerned about uh, kids being uh, groomed by drag queens reading books to them. Uh, I don't know what it is about drag queens other than uh, apparently they just assume that all drag queens are gay, which they're not. And that's just a form of entertainment. Milton Berle, Tony Curtis, Jack Lemon. I mean, <laughs> Tom Hanks. None of them are gay. And they've all done drag. Lucille Ball did drag where she dressed up as, as a man on multiple occasions. Uh, drag queens don't show as much skin as the Dallas cheerleaders or as the girls at the Hooters restaurant show. And parents don't seem to mind taking their kids to stuff like that. Heck, you can go to the beach and those thong bikinis wear... It's like butt floss, you know, there's really not much hidden. Uh, you don't see that much with drag queens. And the bottom line is you're born gay or you're born straight or you're born bisexual or you're born with no particular attraction to either sex. And I think it's all genetics. It's not really something that's easily changed. I, 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 have asked straight friends if they decided to be straight after they had sex with the opposite sex and with the same sex. And they just decided they liked opposite sex better. And they were like, well, no, <laughs> 
just the way it is. Well, you know what? That's just the way it is with gay people too. There's, it's not a choice in most cases. It's always exceptions, but in most cases, it's genetically chosen. So if you have an issue with people being gay, talk to God if you're a Christian. Um, and I'll remind you that Jesus didn't say anything about being gay uh, in the Bible, and gay people were around at that time. He knew about it. So there you go. Um, and as if guns are not a problem in Florida at all. <laughs> Hello? Uh, Pulse nightclub in Orlando, to name one. HB 1543 lowers the legal age to purchase a firearm back down to 18. Um, after Parkland, after that mass shooting at a school, it killed a bunch of kids, young young kids, young adults, I guess you could say, in 2018, um, they raised the uh, legal age to purchase a firearm to 21. But apparently uh, that's, you know, not a problem anymore. So they can lower that back on down to 18. So uh, SB 1442 removes the right uh, to a jury trial if you've been accused of terrorism. I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like uh, some of these mass murders are domestic terrorism. Um, it, it's just nuts. It's nuts. And it I look at this, and it, so much of this reminds me of the stuff that we know happened back in Germany before Hitler rose to power and started the world war and started killing millions of people. And everybody always comments, why didn't the people of Germany see what was going on and do something about it? It's like, hello, America, it's happening again. Ron DeSantis, the governor in Florida. <laughs> uh, I think he could probably be called a Nazi. He's banning books. You want to talk about freedom? You don't have the freedom to choose what books your kids read. This, you know, if parents want to be involved in their kids' education, they need to get involved in it. And if you don't want them to read a book, then I think you should talk to them about it. But you know what? A lot of this stuff's available on the internet. Are they going to regulate the internet now so that children, kids can't look at the internet? Because just taking them out of schools and libraries and stuff won't do it. If, if they want to see it or read it, they will. They can. It's just kind of... Uh, um, unreal. It's really unreal. And, and they're, not even, they're not even done. There's more coming. This is just... Um, th this is, there's just an incredibly long list of bills... And this is the just the 2023 legislative session. This is just this year. We're in March. The, this is the stuff that they have already torn into. And um, they basically are restricting speech without any consideration that there's a First Amendment that gives people a right to free speech. They're attacking women. They're attacking... Um, LGBTQ plus. They're attacking our civil rights. 
um, they're attacking the educational system down there. Um, there's HB one is, uh, that's the very first house bill introduced and it basically destroys the public education system in Florida. It removes all requirements that were previously listed to receive a voucher to attend a private school. And that includes religious schools. And, um, there used to be some requirements, uh, your income level, um, I think it was 375% of the poverty level, um, student who was in foster care, a member of, uh, dependent of a member of law enforcement or in the U.S. Uh, armed services, it removes all of those requirements. So that the only requirement going forward if this bill passes to receive state funding for private education has to be that the student is a resident of the state. And uh, at one point, there was a limit to how many students per year could receive these vouchers. And uh, it was, I think, 18,000. And then it was raised to 26,500. Um, but it can, be, uh, it can be increased by 40,000 each year. And it will provide up to $50,000 in private school funds from public tax dollars. So again, I don't know. I don't want my tax dollars to go to private schools. Uh, when I was growing up, I went to both private and public schools. And when I went to private schools, my parents paid for private schools. And I think that that's the way it should work. Um, but, uh, they are determined to kill off public education. They don't want people educated apparently anymore. Um, HB 913 and HB 1259 are two more bills that actually will grant additional loans and public funds to privately run schools. And, uh, SB 1320, again, another attack on gender, uh, it, it would prohibit uh, staff members of schools uh, from um, being required to use pronouns that don't respond to that person's sex at birth. Um, so in other words, if you have a student who is, you know, was born a male and is uh, identifies as a female in junior high, or in grade school, you have to refer to that person, even though that person may appear to be a woman or a girl, as a he. And uh, no sex education at all until high school, because, you know, kids don't fool around until they get into high school. That's just, you know, yeah. <clears throat> anyway. Pretty ridiculous. And at that, I'm going to let you go because I've got a long list here and, and it's growing by the day, it seems like, down there in Florida. They're in a big old hurry to pass as many hate laws as they possibly can. Once again, 
I was under the impression that legislators are not supposed to be writing legislation that promotes hatred or racism or intolerance, but that is all they're doing pretty much down in Florida. And the governor will tell you there's a new sheriff in town. Boy, he's going to come in and he's going to enforce these new rules. So I hope that the people in Florida wake up and realize that part of the reason, much of the reason why things aren't better for them is because they keep electing people like uh, Ron DeSantis and Marco Rubio and Rick Scott. And uh, of course, there's a few others down there too. So anyway, that's kind of a recap of what has happened um, over the last week, and it's going to be interesting to see, <clears throat> excuse me, what happens, um, <clears throat> what happens in the, uh, weeks ahead, because every time you turn around, it seems like they're coming up with something, and, uh, it looks to me like Ron DeSantis is definitely getting ready to run for the presidency in 2024. There apparently is a restriction on that in Florida. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, let me see if I can find it here. I'm not seeing it right off the top of my head. I believe that there's a restriction on if you're like the governor, you can't run for president while you're the governor. So he would have to resign or something like that. But the Republicans are in the process of trying to fix that by removing that restriction. So that would allow DeSantis to continue to be the governor without having to resign that position while he also runs for president of the United States or something to that effect. I remember reading something about that and uh, I'm just not seeing it here, but uh, this is a long list. So anyway, I hope you all have a good Sunday afternoon and evening. It'll probably be Monday before a lot of you get this um, episode, but, uh, have a great week ahead unless you have other plans. And thank you again for your time. Thank you for listening. I would be grateful to you if you'd subscribe and share this podcast to let your friends and family know about it. You can also find me on Twitter at Federal Andy, and I'd be really grateful if you would follow me. I usually follow back. Be happy safe and healthy, and I'll hopefully be talking to you again next week. Mm -hmm.